Is yeah. Australia one of the, um, dare I say, worst? In, in taking in refugees? What, the whole, how they're um, handling the whole situation. Um... Hey everyone, you are listening to The Happenance Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Casadillo. Now, every Monday, I'll be releasing a podcast on a range of different topics to do with travel and adventure, to overcoming addictions, and also about journeying with God. This is a place where people from all walks of life can share their story, the good, the bad, the ugly, and with vulnerability being the weapon. Time to make it happen. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys for listening in. Um, you're listening to the Happens Podcast. I'm your host Daniel Casadio, and today I have a guest star named Shailen. Hi, <laughs> Shailen. Thanks for joining me. No um, we're going to be talking about what Shailen's been studying because um, a few days ago we chat quite in depthly and um, for a lengthy period of time all about psychology of what she's studying and that, how that links to all these different things to do with trauma on the brain to the refugee crisis. And we just had a very thorough discussion. Mm. And so I was like, you know what, can we have this discussion again, <laughs> but have a microphone in between us. And so here we are. So Shailen, tell us a bit about um, what you're studying. What are you doing? You're in university, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I am in my last year of psychology. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I've just uh, been super passionate about what I study. Anyone who knew me like in first year, I was just like telling them all these facts about Were the you brain. Were like an activist? No, but I was just <laughs> so like passionate and like that could be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. But I was just learning so much about people and how they operate, how they operate with each other. And I just found it um, like amazingly right. fascinating. Yeah. In, in the first year, what really kind of um, grabbed your attention? What did you find fascinating? Like yeah. human behavior or? Yeah. I mean, I think like I also love human bio. So actually learning about the structure and the function of the brain was mm. really interesting. But um, yeah, just learning about um, how, yeah, that structure affects our behavior and how our behavior affects the structure of the brain as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, just learning all about these like disorders that, you know, we kind of hear uh, preconceptions about or, you know, stereotypes and kind of really delving into what that actually looks like on like a symptom basis. It was just, it was wow. just so much that I just yeah. love to yeah, learn yeah. about. Yeah. Just on a quick fire, what were some things that like you were, uh, that really kind of triggered you to keep going? What was it yeah. like in the disorders or what was... Yeah, I think, like, um, I've always been really interested in uh, what I called group dynamics. So um, I did a unit last semester called social cognition. So, like, how Whoa. people, yeah, <laughs> how people, like, interact with each other and how other people influence your behaviour. Right. Um, so if you're hanging with a group of friends now, yeah. are you, like, analysing everyone? I think by nature, like, <laughs> that's just, like, what psychology <laughs> students do. Yeah. And now I just have, like... The, the information behind it but right. yes, you're like things... a Sherlock Holmes like everything in slow-mo and you're yeah. just like oh he's doing that I he's wish... overcompensating because he's insecure trying to impress that girl like... I wish that was the case hey. yeah. but yeah it's so true but yeah like just things like that and things about personality about introversion and extroversion because I'm very much an introvert and for a long time I was like what does this mm. mean like well just yeah. quickly can like for me I I, I guess I lean towards the more extroverted kind mm. of side of things, but there are still times where I need to be by myself and do things yeah, by sure. myself. And so the whole introverted, extroverted 
complex. Yeah. I, well, I have no backing to why I disagree with it, but yeah. like, is it, is it fair to say you only get your energy from people or you only get your energy by yourself? Like, no, what? not at all. It's definitely like a, like a spectrum in the sense of like, you definitely are not like one or the other. And I think what you said about where you get your energy from is really important because a lot of people think, oh, if you're an introvert, you're quiet. Or if you're an extrovert, you're loud. When it's mm. actually like, where do you get recharged from? Mm. And one of the things like that I found most interesting was that I learnt that, like, obviously still on a spectrum, but people who lean more towards introvertedness are more are wired differently to people who are extroverted. Right. So, like, on a biological level, yeah. um, people who are extroverted or lean towards that tend to need more, like, social stimulation to reach, like, an optimum level. Right. And introverted people need less than that. So you can fall really anywhere on that spectrum. But, yeah, like, we're actually Whoa. wired differently yeah yeah which right. i found fascinating but yeah like i i'm an i would call myself an introvert like i'd like to spend a lot of time on my own but like when i'm with people like i love it do you know what mm, i mean but, because you had that prior time of yeah, recharging yeah and Rare. like and so but i can only do that for a certain period of time before i get tired and i need to yeah, yeah but whether other people might be able to do that for longer or for mm. shorter than i can so but yeah it's definitely not like once like one or the other. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that though because it goes against that stereotype of extroverted people are loud, obnoxious, yeah. and things like that. And then introverted people are <coughs> shy, don't have yeah. um, good social um, like uh, uh, cues or things like that. Mm. You know what I mean? So I like that. That's not so. I would even yeah. find that people who are somewhat introverted. All right, this is this is getting like into unterritorial waters. <laughs> um, like they because they kind of recharge up some quiet time to themselves mm. and all that they're almost like dare i say more socially switched on like is that mm, i mean that's, that's super general to say yeah i mean it's definitely like that's another aspect of personality that comes yeah. into that yeah um as in like you can have introverted people who are switched on or intro extroverted people who are socially switched on mm. um but like i think there's there is definitely a kind of I don't know how to describe it but I guess like by being introverted you often spend a lot of time thinking in your own mm, head and mm. thinking it's called being like introspective so in, right. in like thinking about yourself yeah um so, so I think by nature like you just speak with more intent with yeah, more cuz for me I'm extroverted but I sometimes have no filter and oh, so I'm I, introverted and I have no okay, filter. Okay. That's why. <laughs> right. I've said so many things. I'm like, oh, I should not have said that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But like, I think by nature, when you spend that time by yourself, maybe, yeah. I don't know the basis of this, yeah. but I mean, maybe that leads you to kind of think more about what you're saying. But mm. I think that social awareness is probably like another aspect of personality yeah, yeah, and introversion wow. but fascinating yeah, yeah wow and so then going from there what else um what then triggered your interest as you continued studying um yeah i did a lot of uh anthropology units as like extra units which is the like study of human culture mm. and um like i did one on gender studies which was super interesting and i did one on but that had been quite controversial yeah, like, yeah. like surprisingly, like I went into it 
being a Christian, I thought, oh no, like, um, I can't say anything. Like, I didn't want to offend anyone or mm. anything like that. But I think, I don't know if it's because it's in an academic environment. Like, I felt quite um, uh, allowed to share my opinion. Like, I didn't mm. feel like it was knocked down. And all the people in my class were, we had some really great conversations. Mm. And it's like less, less kind of, yeah, left, if you want to call it that yeah. way, than people think. Like, it is just a genuine study of how gender is constructed mm. and yeah it was it's very interesting so i did stuff like that yeah. and i did one on refugees um right. so kind of talking about how how um nation states have been created and the identity of a nation and how that affects when you people who are fleeing persecution come into the picture um so i was really interested in that mm. unit and then I kind of like it was cool and then I didn't really think about it too much s- straight afterwards but I think on the inside it kind of like something was maybe like a slow switched. Burn? Yeah, a little bit. I yeah. think it like you know was the basis of kind of like where I've gone now. So right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so where is that? Where have you gone? Um so I have been um, involved in a program called Mercy Connect. Um so I think they run like many other programs, but the one that I'm involved in is that um, I go into a school and I assist um, refugee kids with their learning. Mm. Um, So you're kind of just giving them that extra hand with things like learning English, understanding instructions. Um, Which which country do lots of your um, clients? Yeah, um, like come from? Is it from Bhutan or? Yeah, a lot. The little boy that I help at my school is from Bhutan. Yeah. Um, but there's such a wide range, and that yeah. some um like volunteers are all over Perth in high schools and primary schools, um in IECs, which is like intensive English centres. Mm. Um, and yeah, they come from all over. A lot of um, uh, from a lot of African countries, a lot from Syria. Um, in the a bit from the Middle East, but yeah, and mm. some from like kind of Southeast Asia, but it really is a, like very. very varied, yeah. Yeah, would most like say when I feel like when a lot of people think of the term refugee, they kind of associate that with Syria, the Middle East kind of realm. Yeah. Um, do many of them come to seek refuge in Australia, or is it mainly in Europe? Or um, I think just geographically because Europe yeah. is closer I think they do try yeah. to go to Europe first um, but yeah I think there's definitely a significant portion that do apply to Australia so right. and yeah. when they apply how long is that um, process for it's it's a very intense long difficult process that I um, when I was training for Mercy Connect we had um, two lectures given to us and this those two lectures were kind of like the spark in my brain to where I'm hoping to go in the future. Mm. Um, so one of them was on the impact of trauma on the brain, especially mm. of kids because we're, we're focusing mm. on kids. But they also did one on kind of talking about what's a refugee, what's an asylum seeker, what's the process. Right. So um, what is, is there a difference between There's the a difference, yeah. Yep. So uh, an asylum seeker is someone who 
is applying for asylum in the country mm. and a refugee um, is someone who has been granted that status. So you have to be granted a status of being a refugee. Right. I think yeah. this is like when I was watching this talk from this lady, I was so confused. It's like the whole system is so complex and right. it changes. Like she did like a timeline of seven years and it changed multiple times. So right. uh, forgive me if I've yeah, like no, given yeah, some sure, misinformation. Sure. But, but And is the kind of um, the UN, uh, is that, is that who di- di- who creates the rules, the regulations, the policies? Yeah, or? so there's... I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but there is an agreement um, from the UN that countries have signed in yeah. terms of um, refugee and asylum seeker rights, which Australia has signed. Um, but from what we've been doing both at the border and with the kind of um, overseas processing camps like on Nauru and all that kind of stuff, that's actually illegal um, since we've signed... Yeah, we've, we're actually right. breaking this statute or this constitution that we've signed right. with the UN with our, with our, um, like our border policies, yeah, I guess, which okay. I was not aware of. I just thought right. Australia Neither. was like being a bit strict on yeah. their... But they actually signed a, a declaration that they're not following. So. Right. So like we hear, we see lots of... Um, almost like dark humour memes on Facebook mm. and things like that and social media that are kind of saying, um, you know, how refugees are being mistreated on Christmas Island mm. and um, all that kind of thing. And apparently there's been a couple of documentaries. I haven't seen the documentaries, but mm. they um, they kind of show like iPhone footage of the yeah. mistreatment, dare I say. And are all those rumours true? They're they're pretty true. Like I have, I've watched a few like in that class I was talking about and I'm currently reading a book called, I think it's No Friend But The Mountains. And it's a guy who, um, I think he's from Afghanistan. I should double check that. But he basically texted this entire book from Manus Island to someone in Australia who like compiled it into a book. Um, So it's his whole experience of coming from, Indonesia and traveling on the boat, going to Man, uh, going to Christmas Island, getting transferred to Manus Island, um, and I, and so I just never had heard like a personal experience. Right. Like I've always read stuff in newspapers or tried yeah. to watch videos and stuff, which has had some pretty strong evidence. But actually, what were some of his experiences? He so he um, obviously fleed. I think it was Iran, perhaps. He fleed his country. He stayed in um, Indonesia for a long time, but the police there are quite strict. Mm. So he was basically hiding for months on end. So how did he get to Indonesia? Like I don't know. He doesn't really cover that right. in the book. Because right. um, just just a question for yeah. people who don't know anything about it, like yeah. me. So is it if they're in Indonesia mm. and they're wanting to seek refuge in Australia, yeah. do they... They go on onto a boat mm-hmm. and they just try and get here. They get stopped by the um, U.S. Navy, um, U.S. Navy, Australian Navy. Yeah. And... So, th- like the another thing that I learned in this mm. talk was that the majority of people seeking asylum in Australia actually come by plane. Um, so come legally in the way that um, everyone tells them to. Like the majority of like I think. Uh, I read a stat once. It was like two percent of people came by boats, even at the height of the right. kind of 
boat, what we call the boat crisis. Yeah. Um, but most people come by plane and with the, um, to the best of their abilities, the correct documentation, and um, they obviously come off the plane and um, they obviously get pulled aside by border patrol and you know if they have one tiny tiny mistake then they just immediately get sent back like and these are people who like sometimes barely speak english and who have fled from just incredible amounts of trauma Mm. and and disruption in their life Mm. um and yeah then they make one mistake and then they you know they get sent back and um do they but have to pay for their way back? Or? I don't think so, but like they like from what I've read from other kind of uh, avenues is that yeah, a lot of it is like hopping between countries. So like yeah. I think oh, I you have don't quote me on this, but I think um, once you go into a refugee camp, they send you to whatever country will let you in, and then from that country you can apply to another one, and then they kind of keep moving. Mm. I think that's how he ended up in Indonesia. Right. Yeah. Right, and as far as the, their finances to cover this, they have um, accumulated beforehand, or is it like UN funded, like um, the transportation? Often, if you're doing it, what's called the right way, yeah. then the UN handles oh, it. You, you did quotation marks. Sorry, yeah, it's sorry, all, yeah. All, yeah. <laughs> I did finger quotation marks because I say yeah. I do quotation marks because if yeah. you do it by that process, then it can take decades for wow. your like application to be processed like people have had kids and their kids have had kids in these refugee camps like they're just it's just because the need is so big do you know Mm. what i mean for the un so that's why we see a lot of people try to take it into their own hands as in they'll either go um through smugglers or they'll come and apply they'll apply for a tourist visa and then as soon as they land in australia they'll um try and apply for asylum um so yeah like it's it's not that they haven't tried the right way to do things or the Mm. the um legal way to do things it's just that if they did they'd be stuck in refugee camps for years on end and in not so great conditions so right And, and so what what are some of those conditions? Um, oh, like it's just overcrowding. Um, uh, like, um, no opportunities for employment. Um, food and water scarcity. Um, like, there's a lack of food and water. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's just so many people flooding in all the time. Um, mm. And yeah, like certain environmental conditions. I don't know. With the Rohingya Muslims um, in Burma a few years ago, um, they were on a lot of the camps are on these hillsides and when the monsoons would come in it just you know flood everything um so and i mean the un is doing the best that they can with a difficult crisis um but yeah it's just just there's just so much need um Mm. that it's hard to kind of give it to everyone um so they're 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 the kind of conditions Mm. that you kind of find in refugee camps which countries should like australia look up to and how they're doing the refugees because i remember there was a german um prime minister and she said if any refugees want to come Mm. um in this window um and seek asylum um, you are more than welcome. Yeah. And then many came from um, Syria and tried to make their way to Germany, but they died in the Mediterranean Sea. Mm. And that was like a... It was in, with great intentions and with things like that, but yeah. it had just a massive, horrific yeah. after effect. 
mm. um, like w- which countries are doing it right and why? Mm. I think um, it's a, such a hard question to ask mm. um, or sorry to find an answer to mm. because it is not a perfect situation yeah, yeah. yeah and so there definitely are countries that are doing it better than others but um yeah it's still a really big issue and even with germany they're finding a lot of backlash now like five plus years later um with just like the overpopulation like they just can't provide um all the kind of needs mm. for these people um so, but I think there's definitely like Germany is a great country for that. They've done mm. really well. Yeah. Um, some of the Nordic countries, um, yeah. like in Scandinavia, and yeah, like but they do everything right. Yeah, man. they do. <laughs> hey, like they just got it sorted. Like they're so super eco. And yeah, like education systems in part. Yeah, yeah I okay. know. I just need to learn them from yeah. them. Hey, um, but yeah, they're like the people, the countries that take the most refugees mm. are the ones that are not necessarily equipped to handle it so things like turkey and greece who are already struggling with their own socio-economic mm. problems and then they're taking on because just they're closest yeah um yeah. geographically but yeah so they're the ones that are taking on the most um but yeah so i think um yeah probably Germany's the Bet, mm. best ish um canada's also really good right. with taking refugees i've yep. got a great um uh What's, what do you call it, like, recuperation system? Like, yeah. when they arrive, um, I remember reading about that during yeah, uni. So, yeah, 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 so, but, yeah, it's, a, it's, um, yeah, a big and, need. Yeah. yeah, and in your long-term kind of goal, would you like to be, like, um, I guess there's two kind of ways you can go about it, kind of be on the floor working with the refugees mm-hmm. and teaching them English or whatever, be integrated with them, or would you want to be kind of almost in politics and policy who are creating like the framework for people mm. who go on the floor? Mm. Which one kind of is more tugging at your heart? Yeah, I think like by nature, I, you know, I like to get in and help. So I think like definitely getting some experience in that area, either like dealing directly with people who, um, who've just arrived. Um, I like to call them new Australians. Um, mm. So when new Australians arrive, I would love to be on the ground helping them set up mm. um, Medicare. And, just quickly, yeah. do they get citizenship straight away? No, it's, um, it is a very long process right, right. and goes through multiple steps. And similar to when they arrive on the plane, if mm. they make one mistake, then it yeah. gets sent back straight to the start. Right. So, because I heard an argument for someone who wants to reduce the intake of um, asylum seekers mm. or refugees, um, that he was saying um, they get citizenship or they get the benefits that Australian citizens get straight away. Mm-hmm. And so they've got, you know, um, uh, like eight kids. And yep. um, so they get all of like the welfare and child mm-hmm. benefits from the get-go and they kind of abuse the Australian system. Right. Is that true? Um, I think... Uh there's always going to be a very small percentage of any group of person or any group of people that might abuse the system in the same way that, you know, a minority of Australians abuse the welfare system. Mm. I think that's just human nature. But I think the majority of people who come as refugees, they don't just want to sit on benefits. Like for a period of time, obviously they, they're going to need some support, but the majority of them want to work. They have qualifications, they have university degrees, they have experience and they want to add to Australia. They don't want, they're grateful for wanting to come 
here to this country. Um, and mm. I have to be careful because I, as much as I've read and learnt about it, like I'm still at the beginning of my journey in For learning sure. about this stuff. For um, sure. And I'm wanting more like experience with refugees directly. But from mm. what I can understand is that they they're willing to work and and be an addition to the economy. And if mm. you're thinking purely from an economic standpoint, you know, morality and emotions aside, mm. it's more it's less expensive to have someone here in Australia on benefits compared to having them in a detention centre in Nauru. So like I think I read right. yeah, I read a stat right. that it's costs two hundred and fifty grand a year per refugee to keep them on Nauru and something like thirty or forty grand a year, maybe slightly more than that, to have them here on benefits. Because we're right. paying the, the government of Nauru millions of dollars to contract the space to have these camps. Right. So purely from an economic standpoint, it's actually better to have them costing yeah. us less as Australians to have them here on on Australian ground on the welfare. But then if you think the additives of that when if they start if you give them the rights to work then they're making money and they're yeah. spending money and yeah. if you're, from a government point of view that's kind of a what you look yeah. yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah, don't right. see why they're still on there and but. um right and so like how how are the um they're breaching the um the Australian government's breaching their contract with the UN mm-hmm. is that right yeah um how, like, is there any... So there's no accountability or no anything? Not particularly, no. Like, I mean, the the UN has spoken out against Australia and has said, like, look, you're doing the wrong thing. Um, but since it's not like a... It's not a law. It's, it's more of like a declaration. There's no, mm. like... Um, yeah. It's not like a law where you can get a punishment for it. Like, if countries really wanted to, like, they could impose sanctions on Australia if they disagreed strongly, but... Um, Is yeah. Australia one of the, um, dare I say, worst? In, in taking in refugees? What, the whole... How they're um, handling the whole situation? Um, oh, look, I would say that we're better than some, but not we're not amazing. Like, in mm. terms of the numbers that we let in, we're pretty low. Mm. Especially um, for, like, a well-developed country. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's, like, for, for how rich we are as a as a nation, the amount of people that we're letting is, is quite small. Mm. Um, but, like, look, there's could... Um, I don't know off the top of my head, but um, there could be countries who are, like, worse, perhaps. Mm. But, like, yeah, from Australia, like, not doing terribly, but could do better, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what would be... um. So what would be your goal? My goal? Yeah. Or what would you like to see changed in policy or in anything mm. like that? I think making the process, actually applying to be a refugee, um, a lot easier. Because, like, these people get given these forms 100 pages long, um, all in English, with no assistance, no, like, translation assistance, and they have to do it in a week. And if that's the case, then there's bound to be mistakes in there. Mm. And, like, the whole process, like, you know, you send in this form, it has to be approved by this person and then by this person, and Mm. then you get this visa, and then you've got to apply for this visa, and it just, like... And then if you make a mistake, then it goes all the way back to the start, and you have to start again. Um, And it... I um, I think it's been made purposely to be quite a long process to kind of deter people from 
from applying just because it takes mm. so long. And I, and what would you say, yeah. like, the end motive is that, though? Like I don't know. Like, I think, I is, think it's like, just... Like, is it kind of people who are in authority who disagree with, like, they think that having lots of, you know, very controversial, having lots of people from, um, um, who, like, who are Islamic and things like that come mm. in to seek refuge, are they racist? Are they, why, why is it, like... Such a big issue? Yeah, 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 like, what's the, if it, if it kind of saves economic, um, mm. like, value, yeah. um, in the long run, to, rather than have them on the island, but mm. actually have them here... Is it kind of what 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 is it? I don't know. Like it's it's a whole bunch of things, and I think um, you you have to have a system in place to to check people when they're coming to a country. That's that's just being safe, and I don't think the government should just like you know let everybody in. Like mm. you still have to um, make sure your country, your like the people who are under who voted you in, are, mm. like are protected. Um, so I still think there needs to be a, a process of, of um, applying for visas and stuff like that. Like that's still important. But I think um, it's definitely the us versus them mentality in the sense of these people, we don't know these people, these people aren't like us. And we as humans are, are scared of what we don't know. We don't mm, like, yeah. and so it, it, we, yeah. we don't like being around people that we aren't familiar with because yeah. we kind of our, our subconscious ways of approaching people. Like if we don't know anything about this other group, then that kind of goes out the window and we're like, Oh, yeah. we don't know what to do. So yeah. I think that's like, certainly part of racism probably does come into it's that. It's a lack of exposure. Yeah. 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 Cause that's something I, found quite interesting i when i was working in germany i met um a refugee who was living in i think it's scandinavian country i think in sweden and he um he's lived in sweden for four years and he said that um in total he like he speaks like a little bit of swedish mm. because they um i don't hate no i don't like using the word they you know what I mean? yeah. it kind of says us yeah. and them but uh, there's a group of refugees in kind of in like a suburb that are quite um that they are all t- together mm. and so they kind of keep to their own traditions and their own language mm. and so there's a lack of exposure to both parties lack of exposure yep. to learning swedish and to having full um i guess participation per mm-hmm. how do you pronounce that word participation yeah participation? yeah, yeah. because it felt like that's like the rain thing yeah like oh, precipitation yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um but um yeah, there's um, a lack of um, involvement, substitution word, mm. for both sides. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a lack of... Um, yeah, that's just kind of what go- goes into my brain. And because when he was kind of saying what he was saying, and then he was speaking quite um, harshly about the people who lived there, as in, like, the um, the Swedish people, in my head I was like, okay, so it's just, it's just kind mm. of like another perspective clash for sure yeah you know? like there's definitely two sides to a story you know yeah, and, and yeah. It, that involvement does take effort from both parties as mm. well yeah and a hundred percent like there's definitely like room to improve um but like that's just kind of um where we should start i guess yeah. with the kind of not, I don't know how to say, like, fixing the problem. I'm not sure if that's the right way right, right, yeah, to phrase but, it. Yeah, but then being able to yeah. find ways to kind of 
actually be integrated into um, society. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, through um, being a youth worker, we had a couple of um, multicultural awareness um, conferences. Mm. Um, and a lot of it was just um, us um, gaining knowledge about um, Indigenous culture because lots of our clientele from Department of Child Protection, unfortunately, are, mm. are Aboriginal and have um, are from um, the country, you know, in the Pilbara in remote Western Australia. Yeah. Um, and I remember the spokesperson was a beautiful, really cool indigenous dude, um, just down South a little bit, um, in like the Margaret river area, I'm pretty mm. sure. And as he was talking, he was like, how do you say, um, like hello in French and me trying to, you know, stroke my ego and be like the traveling person. I was like, Oh, bonjour. You know what I mean? And then he kept going through all the language, like Spanish, Ola, you know, all these different kind of languages. And then he goes, how do you say it in Nunga? And the whole room was quiet. And for those who don't know, Nunga is um, like the uh, one of the dialects um, of the southwestern Australia indigenous lingo. Is it from Perth to Albany, Nunga? Um, I think, yeah, because I, I'm originally from Bustleton and yeah. we used, like, we learnt about the Nunga language. Yeah, yeah so oh, you it goes did. pretty yeah. far down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it just really hit me just how much I don't know about mm. a, a very um, important group of people. Mm. You know what I mean? And that really kind of hit me. Um, and I feel like that and that lack of exposure as well um, can has generated lots of, you know, kind of things to do. I'm not, we're not going to dissect into it, but, you know, changing Australia Day, all these kinds of things mm. that are very hated with tension mm. and everything like that and I completely understand it and I wonder if it's just a lack of actual proper genuine human connection exposure on both sides yeah do you know what I mean and yeah. so like in my head like it would be cool to have like you know like like um things where you can imagine like a volunteer like a fa- families through all over western Australia or all over Australia all over the world get to register and then they get to have like, you know, imagine like a normal family who at home after school and then they get to have like a refugee family come over for dinner. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just have like that sit down dinner where everyone's chatting, they're learning English, they're learning about yeah. life in Bhutan or that, that actual human life connection. Mm. I wonder if we did more of that and had more of actual integrated um, means, more yeah. programs or... I, and I even hate to use the word programs because that kind of sounds like you need to have policy and da, yeah. da, 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 but if we could all kind of step up yeah you know I 100% agree like just like getting to know because at the end of the day we're not really that much different to each mm, other mm. and so I think just being exposed to people who are different to you can make such a difference like I went from rural New Zealand to semi-rural Australia when I was a kid and it's very homogenous. Like New Zealand's a little bit different, but like I, most people that I knew looked like me, talked like me, sounded like me, grew up mm-hmm. like me. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until I moved to Perth, um, which is still kind of similar, but it wasn't till then that I was introduced to a lot of like different groups of people. Um, but even it's only been really since the last six months, um, or mainly most of 2020, where I've gone like, oh my gosh, like I have not even thought about these groups of people. So like, mm. like, in, like First Nations people of Australia as well. Like mm. I'm like, oh my gosh, like these are people who are are hurting and and are broken and uh, 
uh, disadvantaged in my own backyard and I yeah. am not paying attention to it, you know yeah. what I mean? And, like, the refugee thing kind of started that for me with lots of other areas. But, yeah, I think, like, just getting to know people and, and talking to them and... Um, giving them you know decent human kindness can just go so far really yeah um and i really feel like it could remedy a lot of not just the problems and the concrete issues that we see but like our thoughts about um refugee people in general yeah 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 yeah. because i remember even in um in class we had discussions about it and me not knowing anything or whatever um we called them boat people Mm. you know what i mean um and that was in high school. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I didn't think anything of it, you know? And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Fat, like, and so, all right. So what do you think needs to be, what, what do you, if you are a policymaker, mm-hmm. what would you make happen? You know, obviously yeah. keeping it in line of funding and yeah. economics like that not obviously you can't say let them all in or whatever yeah. but what would you actually practically do to kind of fix the solution mm. yeah i think that's like the part of my journey where i'm just kind of stepping into like mm. okay here's the the depth of the problem we're facing but how do we like what's the next step and i think yeah so i'm still learning about this area for myself sure. um but from the little that i know i think yeah, still having a system in place for for processing refugees, but I think even just a trial of what it would be like uh, bringing them here instead of sending them to Nauru, like just the benefits um, for these people and for Australians in general. Mm. Um, Is Nauru just one island? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just got one big camp and on there, yeah. Do you know how big, roughly? I don't know off the top of my head. I think it's the biggest. Yeah. Um, we also, I think we may also have one on Papua New Guinea, but... Right. And Christmas Island, or that... Christmas not... Island is closed, from what I remember. Yeah. Or it kind of temporarily reopens, I think, when the government needs it to. Like, right. if there's, if there's like... But Nauru's the main one. Nauru's the main one that they eventually get sent to. Okay. Um, so, yeah. But I think, like, just trialling it and seeing, um, like, how it would go with a smaller group and then if it works, if it's viable, um, then we can bring more of them into this, this system that we've created, this, like, kind of template that we've created um yeah just bring them here into australian life i guess um and seeing how that goes like if the government didn't want to like do a whole big thing like just trial it out um and see how it goes because i was gonna say i was thinking back before to what we how well does australia do refugee um issues um and although the process is quite complex like when they do get here there is a lot for refugees like we we like Centrelink, Medicare, um, like English lessons so it's not that Australia doesn't have anything for refugees mm. um, but yeah I definitely think the um, it's just the process of um, arriving and, and yeah being legally allowed to stay here is like the kind of arduous process um, so yeah just streamlining that and then yeah trying it out I guess. And but that's the tricky thing with like interaction with refugees because um, you don't want it to be different because then that's not like equality you know we mm. talk to people how we 
I would want to talk to a refugee how I talk to any anyone. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. Whether it be you or whoever. But is it, what are some things that we need to keep in mind in when we meet a refugee as far as interaction? Is there anything we need to consider? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, alongside that talk that they did about the process of becoming a refugee, the other one they did was about the effect of trauma on the brain and especially for kids. Um, and before I go into that, like it is important to know that like people handle trauma in different ways. And so like, like you have to be careful what like, I have to be careful not to like, um, what's the word? Uh, um, oh, well, I can't remember, but like not treat them like these like, broken but, people. Yeah. Like, like belittle them. Yeah. And you're the hero. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Like not like a, a, like what's called like the white savior complex. Like yeah. these are people who are, uh, are complex and are like richly um, fascinating individuals. Do you know what I mean? Like they are still people. Um, and yeah, it's important not to, condescending. That's the word not to be yeah. like condescending, but yeah, it, keeping in mind the trauma that they've gone through is really important in interacting because what we learn in psychology is that trauma on the brain is super impacting and not just for that individual but actually for like successive generations like they did a study in the 1940s this is more to do with the body but um so people in the netherlands who experienced like starvation during the like nazi occupation their kids and their grandkids actually often developed obesity because their grandparents had passed down the, the gene to hold on to like nutrients and to, right. to food wow. and this that gene had actually been passed down to their grandkids like 70 years later so when they would consume just a normal healthy diet they would gain they, weight yeah like it was like uh it was more likely for them to become obese because yeah. they're they're um what's called epigenetics so like how your genes change with environmental factors have yeah, changed over time. Wow, and wow. the and the brain is the same. Like it's very what we call very plastic in that it adapts um, to what your body needs, I guess, or what your mind needs. Um, but yeah, so we see like a lot of changes physically in the brain, um, like when people experience trauma. Um, so like the main kind of areas are um like what we call like the middle of the brain it's kind of like as you start in the middle of the brain it's the kind of basic functions like why our hearts beat or why we breathe without you know thinking about it and then as you go out it gets to more complex things um it's like in the middle of your brain you've got the amygdala which controls fear and anger like your kind of base right. emotions and yeah. then that connects to what's called the hippocampus which kind of processes emotions but also deals with memory and so when you go through trauma um those the amygdala is overactive like you're always your brain's always telling you you're in danger um and so that's sending all those messages to the hippocampus um and it affects your memory like you people who right. go through trauma often have a lot of memory loss not even around the time of the trauma just in general because their brains have just been overtaken with this trying to remember like everything in their environment that's you know causing them to yeah be a right. danger yeah so yeah. like that so is that mean so when like say um See the young boy that you help um, at Mercy Campus um, that you come alongside with that help teach English or just with the school and yeah. kind of thing. Um, 
like how do you do you, do you see any kind of times with him or just have you had experiences where they've I don't know heard like you know when you think about um army veterans yeah you know and they kind of hear like a car wheel screech and they kind of jump up yeah. and you know grab the holster or gun in the thing where they realize there's nothing there it's yeah. just a car or whatever yeah is it a similar kind of um picture yeah i think um i don't know the background of the child that i help very much like i just know where he comes from um oh is it like classified you're not allowed to know well yeah it's more that like you just kind of don't ask like if the yeah, child okay. kind of tells you about it then you're like oh cool but you don't for kind sure. of dig into it for sure um yeah. but yeah, like, that's that's literally an example they gave to us is that sometimes, like, depending on the child's experience, like, they may be very jumpy, like, when they hear, like, a car backfire because I think it's a bomb or a gun or anything like that. So, yeah, because they've just experienced so much trauma for so long, it's like the, the fight-or-flight response that we hear about, like, that's just switched on constantly. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so that's, like, it changes the way that your brain operates and um so we hear of things like adrenaline um and i think it's either the same or a very similar hormone called norepinephrine um which is like yeah it's telling our body that we're in danger in danger this whole time and um that puts the body under a lot of stress as well as the brain Mm. um and yeah and then it affects things what we call like our executive function so what we call like higher level thinking so like planning and um, risk aversion, even social so, um, aspects of social behavior, um, that can change as a result of trauma as well. So, um, yeah, it's just like all that intercon and they all, all the parts of the brain talk to each other. Like it's not like this one talks to this one mm, and that talks to that. Like yeah. it's all interconnected. So when this trauma is on the brain, like it, it just affects the whole cool. kind of system of, of risk like perception and yeah. um yeah fear and all that kind of stuff like it's just affected for for quite a long time yeah yeah right and for the the young guy that you work with um he's i can imagine i can't even imagine kind of what he's been through in the past and where he's come from and although you have to be careful on what you have to, what you can disclose to me and especially on the internet you know just about his name and where he's from and everything like that but Regardless of that, what are some, like, do you have any many anecdotes where you can see him just doing really well and thriving? Mm, mm. Yeah, like, it's, I've been working with him for, since March, really. Um, There's a bit of a break because of COVID, but, um, yeah, he's really grown in, like, obviously his academic ability and what he can do in the classroom, like, seeing him improve over time, Um yeah academically but really just seeing how he's kind of like opened up a little bit like even in the way he talks he's a bit more confident in how he phrases things and asking questions um and like he's got a great little group of friends from what I can see like when they come in from recess and stuff um but yeah like it's it's been really awesome to see him grow in that confidence in using mm, english as well yeah um is that also a big thing for like acceptance kind of being with his with his friends yeah. at recess and all that yeah is that a big contributing thing i think so like just having like i think kids are quite adaptive in that they like a lot of things as adults that we kind of shy away from or that we kind of get a bit not freaked out by but the kids don't really care about that kind yeah, of stuff no, like definitely they might yeah 
notice it, but it doesn't really come into play with, um, like the way they interact with yeah. like that person. But which is why I love kids in general. But yeah. like everyone can play soccer. Everyone yeah, can kick the yeah. Ball, like know? that they enjoy like a lot of play, and so yeah. yeah but definitely seen him be more expressive and yeah the way he just talks and he's learning more and i think it's really like helping him with yeah just adapting to a new kind of country i guess so yeah yeah. cool cool and so like like lastly like just at the end of the day going forward just as far as like what you want you want to get into your masters you want to do everything like that yeah which is awesome what would be what would be the long? What's the what's the goal? What's the long term kind of goal long-term that you want to do? Um. Well, yeah. So I'm just about to finish my undergrad, and I'm hoping to do my masters in social work. So just being on the ground, really. Like I'd love, I love one to one interactions. Like being a facilitator for someone's growth or improvement or whatever they're coming to me for. So which can be done with refugees or with with anyone really. But yeah, that's the goal for me. Um, is to yeah come alongside people and give them assistance where they need but like really just encourage them in their own growth um mm. and i think at to the, not do it for them but to yeah support just them. to support them in that process and i think like the ultimate ultimate goal is to tell people about jesus as and that's kind of the end goal for for anything that i try and do um because yeah i guess like my faith is what underlines everything that I'm passionate about and about people about psychology about social justice issues so yeah and I kind of had a moment at the start of the year and being like talking about all these issues and you can go into like technical stuff or political Mm. stuff but I thought whatever my opinion is what matters at the heart of it is am i am i showing people who jesus is yeah am i am i you don't get so carried away at being right yeah not to win the argument or the debate you know even though it might be very intellectual winning or losing reducing your ego yeah it's like just just about like yeah what there's no a lot of the the opinions that i might have or whatever i realize i'm like none of it makes sense without Jesus in the picture. Do you know what I mean? So, like, to me, I was like, okay, well, actually, instead of telling someone about my opinions on, yeah, refugees or or Black Lives Matter or abortion or any any of those big Mm. topics, like, am I first telling them about Jesus? Because that's where, for me, that's where it flows from and that's what's most important. Um, So I guess, like, with moving on in my career or in my eventual career, like, that's the very foundation of what I do. But yeah. whether someone... It's not about trying to make someone a Christian. Yeah, Like, yeah. It, if that happens, that's great. But the main thing is... Showing Showing Jesus, Jesus and, and yeah. being imitating him and, and being kind and, and loving to yeah. those people who need it. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool, cool. I like that. I reckon mm-hmm. that's awesome. And it's also kind of... um, Like, when lots of people kind of think on... um. Uh, I guess keep our borders strict, you know what I mean? Mm. Or build build the wall in the US yeah. and Brexit and all that. It almost comes from white white right winged um Christians that yeah. I want that kind of that stereotype, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think what lots of people forget is that someone when he was I think two years old, um, fled he mum his mum and dad grabbed him and they fled when he was two away because there were tr- soldiers were trying to find him and kill him and but they killed everyone around him mm. and so these 
this family were running and fleeing and seeking refuge somewhere somewhere else. Yeah. And that just so happened to be Bethlehem, Jesus, Mary and Joseph fleeing from yeah. there and seeking refuge in Egypt. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so that thing, that's the biggest thing where before we start making assumptions or treating refugees um, like con- coming condescending or yeah. saying they're abusing the system or whatever, we can't really say that when our own saviour yeah. was one. Yeah, exactly. And we're not called to give the bare minimum. Like there's yeah. multiple verses where it says, look after the foreigner, you know, and mm. where it says, you know, if someone asks for your shoes, give them your coat as well. Do you know what I mean? Like I think we're very comfortable in our lives here where we want all of our material resources and we don't want to share, but we have so much to give. And um, I think we have, we can have more than enough to look after ourselves, our own people. um, Sorry, people who already live in Australia, but we also have enough to help those who are wanting to become new Australians. And like the coronavirus uh, epi- like pandemic has shown us that if the government wants to move money quickly, then they can. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like it's whoa. just, yeah, it's damn, just yeah. about like yeah. the priorities. And yeah. I know that the coronavirus is a very different situation to mm. the refugee crisis, but I think it is about priorities and that's on a government level and that's on a personal level for mm. me as well. Personally, yeah. that's a challenge to myself about where am I putting my resources, whether that's my time or my money. Mm. Um, yeah, not just yeah, just bashing the government, but it's mm. it's it's for all of us. It's all yeah. Australians. So. Yeah, we got to lead the charge, yeah, not exactly. just blame the government. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Cool. We'll wrap it up there. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on no and talking about this. Um, if you want to have a chat and even challenge Shailen on some of her views or just discover more, where can they reach you? Um, on my Instagram, which yeah. I think you're gonna. Oh, will write it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, 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 cool. um, yeah. people always spell my name wrong. But right, yeah, please yeah. feel free to message me and have a chat about that sort of stuff. Cool, so. cool. Awesome. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, you've been listening to the Happenance Podcast with Shaylin and my your host, Daniel Casadio. Uh, have a great day. I hope this week finds you well. God bless. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. At the end of the day, we've all got different views on how we see the world. And if you have any questions or want to challenge more of my thinking, you can get in contact with me on Instagram at Dan Casadio. Thank you again for giving me your attention for this bit of time. I genuinely appreciate it and I'm very, very grateful. I hope you win this week. You've got this. God bless. Ciao.